A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. To Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this very special and unique episode, a tribute to the great Mir Mashkiach, Rabaran Chadash, who just recently passed away, unfortunately, a couple of days ago. It's still very fresh. And this will be a very, um, hopefully, a very um, interesting and powerful tribute to a great man. But uh, it is sponsored, generously sponsored, um, by um, by a few of his close students. Uh, first of all, Yaakov Eber and I together in honor of the close and deep relationship uh, that we held, making our experience in the Mir Yeshiva special and touching our lives in so many ways. It is also dedicated by Maishi Niehaus and Mint Media to the great memory of the Mir Mashkiach Ravaran Chadash with the hope that the listeners are inspired by his great legacy to treat others with sensitivity, dignity, and respect. Mint Media, Mint Media is the proud video producer of Mir Yeshiva dinners and campaigns. Turn to Mint Media for all your corporate and non-profit video needs. Mint Media, refreshing multimedia. So this, uh, like I said, is... Um, a little, little um, different than uh, some most of our episodes here. It's more of a personal approach to this episode, which you know I kind of felt guilty when I was preparing. This is supposed to be history, um, and uh, there's a little bit of history here also, I guess. But I was thinking about it, and uh, and first of all, it, it, it sometimes you live history, you live through history, and the uh, you know the 16, 17, I don't know, I can't even remember how many years already I know him. 17, 17 years that I knew him. So, you know, I lived through history of knowing a, a person like that is also an idea of sometimes making it personal. In Avil Yachid, you're allowed to make a, a personal, uh, individual, um, uh, you know, um, interaction and overview. So I also want to take the opportunity to remind everyone that, you know, Hanukkah is coming up and I'm available for, uh, virtual tours, lectures, uh, sponsorships for future episodes, when your Hanukkah parties, you want something more exciting, the lecture or virtual tour, or any other time, then you could be in touch with me about that. By the way, now besides for this uh, podcast here, we're also going to have 
and nice. You could keep your eyes open for the Mishpacha magazine this week, which you probably do anyway every week to read the weekly For the Record column, which will also be this week, obviously. But uh, Davi Safir and I, my colleague from uh, with many projects, but among them the Mishpacha magazine, um, we're going to have a uh, hopefully a nice tribute to the Meshgiach or Baran in this week's Mishpacha. So, you know, try to purchase that as well. And hopefully there won't be too much overlap. This will be a different story. This will be more personal. Mishpacha will be more general. Uh, I want to start off with actually a letter I received from a listener, not something that I'm... Almost everything that I'm going to say uh, in this uh, episode is going to be something I experienced myself or was eyewitness to. Almost everything, not all of them. But I actually want to start off with something that I received from a listener who anticipated this episode and wanted to uh, share this immediately. Um, and I'm going to quote it uh, directly as, as it appears in, in the email that he sent me. Uh, here it goes. I wanted to tell you a story that was meaningful to me about the Mashkiach. When I came to Yeshiva, I went to Reb Nassim Svizatzal and got a hiskabel, an acceptance, when I was then, which, I, which, I was, which I then was to take to the Mashkiach before going to the office. When I came to the Mashgiach, the following conversation took place in Hebrew. Mashgiach saw my paper, which said that I had previously learned at Yeshiva's Rabbeinu Yitzchak Elchanan. Mashgiach, so what did you learn there? Me, Sanhedrin, Ksubis before that. Mashgiach, no, no. I mean, what did you learn? Mathematica, Psychologia. At this point, the Mashgiach was having a very good time teasing me. Me, Cheshbon, accounting. Mashgiach, very nice. And what does your father do for a living? Me, he is not well and unable and is unable to work. At that moment, all the jokes stopped. Mashgiach looked at me and said, Do you have a dira? A shir? A chavrusa? Come back to me in two weeks to let me know what you have to let me know that you have everything you need, and if anything comes up, please come back to me. Your father should have a Rafua Shulema. This interaction made a big impression on me. End of letter. And again, when I said me in the letter, is obviously not me, it's the letter writer. Just want to clarify that. Uh, my father is healthy and well, thank God. May he always be that way. Um, but uh, this is just a, an, an incredible letter. And it's just uh, one, of, one I imagine of thousands of people out there who had similar interactions with them. Um, uh, over Shabbos, a friend of mine in Shul was telling me about how... Uh, his his when his father had was close with the Mashkiach and his father had passed away, and his mother remarried, and uh, at one point this this guy who's telling me the story he made a wedding his daughter got married, so his his wife's side had all his his, his father in law was a a dayan on the uh, Rabbanut Bezdin so all these uh, chief rabbis and and and, and dayanim from the Rabbanut were going to be coming from his wife's side. And from his side, he was in the mir. He was close affiliated with the mir, so a lot of the mir rashi yeshiva were going to come. And that's not even getting to his mechutin side, where all them they're going to come. And uh, he gets a call from the mashkiach the night before the wedding, and he said to him, "I know you're going to have a lot of people there who are going to you want to give a honor at the wedding at the ceremony, but your mother just remarried, and it's very important that you give her husband." Uh, a, a bracha under the chuppah. I just wanted to make sure you you understand that. And that's a sensitivity. That's something that noticed, you know, to think about it before and to make the call, to know that, to think about the widow of a mother of a Talmud of his. 
Um, so we go a little bit to the background of where the Mashkiach come from. You know, he was born in Yerushalayim. Um, his, his, his parents, he came from an aristocratic uh, background. His mother was a Hutner from Aishishok. So Mashkiach's grandfather was the Aishishokarov. And his great-grandfather, they were the Hutner family, was rabbis there for a few generations. Um, and uh, in fact, when I, I interviewed him uh, for the mere virtual dinner uh, just last spring, and uh, and he, great, amazing interview, and uh, so many stories there, we could go on about that another time. But he mentioned how when he was a young child, he didn't remember most of this visit because he was only two and a half years old. He had some fuzzy memories here and there. But his mother would tell him that he brought her, she brought him and his younger sister back uh, to uh, to Aishishuk. You know, he was born here. His mother had his mother's family had never met, had never seen her kids. So he, they went back, and they uh, and during that time, his mother brought him to get a bracha from the Chavetz Chaim. So the Mashkiach is one of the last people in the world who had a bracha from the Chavetz Chaim. It's also something that was a, a severed connection, something that was lost with his passing. Is that that connection? I don't know. It could be that there are other people in the world that have a blessing from the Chavetz Chaim, but he was definitely one of the last people. So that's something special as well. But um, but. Uh, in in that and many other discussions, the Mashkiach many times told me about uh, the Hutner family and the background. Um, his fa- his grandfather Naftali Hutner and his great grandfather Rabzundel Hutner, the previous Aisha Shokarov, and he had actually written a haskama for the Chavetz Chaim Sefer Likute Halachas. So you're talking about uh, someone who the Chavetz Chaim went to to receive an approbation, um, and uh, there was another. Hutner branch that was his his mother's uh, cousins in Warsaw, a very prominent family. Um, the uh, the uh, one of them one of the, they had a, a, a son, Rabbi Shua Hutner, who was later the head of the Machon Yerushalayim Publishing and involved in manuscripts. A brilliant individual. The daughter Hutner of that Warsaw branch married Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda Cook, Rav Cook's son, and later the Rishi Merkaz Zarav. So that made him. Uh, the Mashkiach's first cousin, and the Mashkiach told me that they enjoyed a very uh, nice and warm relationship over the years. Uh, the uh, Rav Tzuyu, the cook, and the Mashkiach's family, um, and that, that's that's that was his mother's family. His father was, of course, Rebbeir Chadash, the longtime Mashkiach of the Chevron Yeshiva. He was one of the last, perhaps the last, uh, great close student of the altar of Slabotka, and he was seen by many in, in Israel as uh, somewhat personifying in his later years the altar's godless Adam, his Musar. The Mashkiach told me many times that his father was his main, primary, perhaps only Rebbe. It's something that he got everything from his, his father. Uh, his father tried to emulate the altar his whole life to keep the spirit of the altar in the Chavon Yeshiva. In fact, uh, Mashkiach's son uh, told me that uh, that when uh, when when Rameir Chadish's son-in-law, the Mashkiach's brother-in-law, Rav Baruch Mordechai Ezrachi, may he live and be well, he opened his uh, yeshiva Teres Yisrael and they broke off of the Chevron yeshiva. So Rameir Chadish went with him, and he he was also stayed the Mashkiach in Chevron, but he was the Mashkiach in in Ateres Yisrael. And here's like, it's a brand new yeshiva. It's a very Israeli yeshiva, and it's already the 1980s, I think, already by then. And uh, Rameir Chadash insisted on delivering the shmuzin 
in the yeshiva in Yiddish still. Why? Because he endeavored in all his years to deliver the shmuzin exactly like the altar did. And he did it in the same tone of voice and the same decibel level and the same, and, 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 and therefore he, he didn't feel, and he knew a perfect Hebrew. He didn't feel he could be able to deliver that same message if it was in another language. So because he was trying to convey what the altar Slobodka had, he was, he, he, he kept on, you know, giving it in Yiddish even into his later years, even in this new yeshiva. Uh, very interesting. Um, you know, Meshkiach was very close with his father. In fact, it's a funny story. There was one time a, a landmark conference that was connected to some big political event in Israel, political parties, uh, religious political parties breaking up in the 1980s, a whole story, I don't get into it now. And the Meshkiach did not want his father attending this conference. He, you know, you're getting involved in politics, you're getting involved in in dispute, it's not, it's not for the Chadash family. And the Mashkiach was the one who stayed the furthest away from politics and the furthest away from disputes. And so Rameir Chadash uh, wanted to, you know, if he wanted to go, but he was told that he, he, he's, he's expected to be at the, attending this conference. So the Mashkiach went ahead. He was, he believed that he is the right thing. He went ahead and hid his father's shoes. So this way his father wouldn't be able to go. Rameir Chadash felt that the right thing was yes to go. So he went in his slippers. He couldn't find his shoes. So he showed up at this conference wearing his slippers because the Meshkiach, Rabar, and his son had hid his shoes. So that's also uh, um, an interesting story about the interaction, the relationship between him and his father. Um, Rabbi Yasef Stern, of blessed memory, was also a, a you know a, a figure in Mir Yeshiva for many years, a special man. So I used to eat uh, Shabbos suitors by him very often. So he told me that he was pretty much the first American when he in yeshiva when he arrived in the early 1950s. He had been in the Tel's yeshiva. Rabbi Stern was, of course, the grandson of Rabbi Yaakov Herman, the famous all for the boss. So he came following his older brother, Rabbi Sha'aron Stern, who had also come to Israel in the early years. So Rabbi Stern also came. Actually, in fact, Rabbi Stern told me that he came on a boat and he never left after that. So he had never been on an airplane in his life. Um, Either way, so he came to the mirror in the early 50s. He was the first American. And um, so because he was an American, so Rebbe Finkel at one point put him in charge of distributing the Chalukah money to the Yerushalmi, uh, it was mainly Yerushalmi, primarily Yerushalmi Yeshiva at that time, to give them the Chalukah. And so, so okay, so he was in charge, so he gave out the Chalukah. So Rebbe Stern was told by Rebbe Yudel that, uh, you know, giving out, distributing the Chalukah money means you have to be a bit of a disciplinarian as well. You have to, if they come late, if they miss days, then you have to deduct from their uh, allocated funds for that month. And Rebbe Stern told Rebbe Yudel Finkel, no, you got the wrong guy, I don't do discipline, I'm not doing that. So he would give it indiscriminately, you know, he didn't check in to see if they came on time or if they missed anything. And that's how it went for several years. When Rabar and Chodesh married into the family, he married the daughter of Reb Chaim Zev Finkel, the previous Meshkiach of the Mir Yeshiva. So he came in and he became a powerhouse, an influence. As soon as he, as soon as he arrives, he decided he's going to whip these Yerushalmis into shape. He's going to bring some discipline. They have to start coming on time. They can't just show up whenever they want. So he took the Chalukah distribution away from Rebbe Stern, and he's becoming in charge. And he's gonna, and he's gonna, he's gonna make sure that uh, you know that they they suffer the consequences because he wanted to build up the yeshiva to make it a real, you know, a, a real improvement in what was going on. So what did the Yerushalmi's uh, 
say about the situation? They said, he didn't, he didn't have the approach of Rabbi Yosef Stern. He's Loyadas Yosef. He didn't go with Yosef. He was a Melech Chadash, Rabaran Chadash. Um, he, he was a Mashkiach who was, he was more like a grandfather to me for sure and to many others. He looked at him like a grandfather. You spoke to him not like you would speak to a regular Mashkiach. It was certain comfort and ease. The first meeting I ever had with him, I was nervous. I was, I had to be honest, I was downright terrified. I was an 18 year old uh, uh, American Israeli coming to the biggest yeshiva in the world, not knowing a soul. And, uh, and I show up, you know, after I had been by the yeshiva ready and everything. So I go to the Majgia. He looks at me, he sees that I'm, you know, on the paper that I give it to him, he sees that I'm Israeli, that I live here, and that I'm 18 years old. He's like, what in the world are you doing here? He goes to go to Brachfeld, go to the Mir in Brachfeld, go to the Israeli yeshiva, the Mir uh, branch uh, in in the Brachfeld uh, neighborhood in Kiryat Sefer, and uh, and 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 and, uh, and uh, what are you doing? That's for younger guys, and that's for Israelis. What are you doing here? I said, no, I have to come here. It's a whole story, blah blah blah, uh, and I uh, convinced him that that I'm supposed to be here and I'm not supposed to be in the Brachfeld yeshiva. So the Meshkiah says, okay, if you insist, so you're here, but let me tell you something, I'm a little nervous, you're young, check in with me every two weeks to see how you're doing, and uh, this way I could keep on top of you. And because of that, because of his care, because of then I, I followed his direction, I went every, I went even more often than every two weeks to check in with him, that was the beginning of really an amazing relationship that we had over the years, because he decided to take that initiative and care to make sure I wouldn't get lost in this huge yeshiva, as such a young uh, student. He was different than any other mashkiach. Uh, he was uh, completely unique. Was he a Talmud Chacham? Yes, he was. Big Talmud Chacham. Was he a Balmusser? For sure. Big Balmusser. He was the Slabatka godless Adam in a very big way. But that, that's, that's all around the, the, the big point. The main thing was that in his presence you felt so comfortable you were able to talk to him. You felt so heimish around him. It was unlike any other relationship with someone of that stature. It's hard to describe the, the uniqueness. Uh, you forgot how great he was simply because he, because how down-to-earth and normal he was. Um, the Shabbos is that we would eat by his house. The conversation was, you know, it was, it, was, it was very easy. He was very interested in what you're doing. There's a very diverse group of, of Talmidim and Yeshiva, both from many different countries and from many different backgrounds and many different challenges, uh, and, and everyone, he dealt with everyone on their level and their, to relate to them. Uh, I remember uh, eating a Shabbos uh, uh, at his house, and there was a bunch of uh, Israeli uh, Bacharim in the yeshiva who were, you know, they weren't they, let's say, they weren't the biggest superstars in the yeshiva, let's put it that way. And, uh, you know, in Israel, it's a big thing to go to the beach. They have separate beaches at, 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 uh, in Tel Aviv and other places. So in the summer... It's a big thing to to go to the beach, and some of the yeshivas they you know they are not excited that they make a whole beach uh, visit during the zman, um, but uh, but the the mashgiach turns to the Israeli uh, uh, students sitting at a Shabbos table, and it was a summer Friday that it was during the summer. So he said to them, "Did you go to the beach today?" So he, they said, "No, we didn't go." So why not? It was great weather. Why not? You have to utilize these Fridays. A long day. It's beautiful weather. Well, you should have gone. Should enjoy yourself, relax. 
it's a, it's it's something that you need and and it's something again it's just a simple interaction like okay so he said go to the beach doesn't make him uh, doesn't make him a, that that makes him a great mashkia it was the idea that he was able to see what these kids needed and 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 be able to relate to that and initiate it um, his wife again by these Shabbos, who is an amazing person Rebbe Hasid Chadash also she would interact with the guys she would talk to us and schmooze with us and care and. Later on, I would I would go there. I went to a Shabbos Shudas there with my wife. We would keep we kept we go went after we got married also, and we would go visit visit with the kids, uh, bring my kids there. And he would ask the kids, "What are you? What are you? How, which grade are you in? What are you doing in school?" He was very involved in the Talmidim's lives uh, on. He was, and he was also like, again. He got to see how regular and normal he was at home. He would, uh, I remember uh, his wife was watching his his diet, um, so. By dessert, she had homemade, delicious homemade ice cream, and um, and she offered us um, doubles, but she didn't offer him doubles because she didn't want him to have. So, so the mashgiach would turn to me or to one of the other guys sitting there and say, "Do you want doubles?" So I'd say, "Yeah, sure, I'll take doubles." The mashgiach said, "All right, uh, here, take and take my bowl." You know, he would shift his bowl with it uh, together with ours to make sure that he would get doubles uh, as well. See, so he's. He's a big mashgiach, but he, he also likes the ice cream. Um, you know, the yamim toivim around the year with the mashgiach is something that to say almost about almost every holiday during the throughout the whole the whole year. Um, one thing that sticks in my mind is on Yom Kippur, he would go up and daven neila in the base medrash, and I remember when the you know it's the last days of this holy day and a powerful day and the Mir main base magic is over 800 people and it's packed together and it's jammed and uh daven there for 15 years in the in the base magic in yeshiva and the mashgiach sat a few rows in front of me and then when the ilu was starting you'd see him slowly making his way to where the chazan would stand and he would belt out his ashrayesha and you're like I felt always felt like a sense of relief. I said, he's going up there. He's going to lead us through this Neila. He's going to make sure it's okay. Powerful. And, and I, I don't know. You always, I, I personally always felt that the, the year's going to be, this year's going to be okay. He's up there again. His Avinu Malkeinu at the end of Neila. It was something very special. Uh, the Hanukkah in Yeshiva. So there was the, there was a Hanukkah Masiba in the Yeshiva. And one night we were on the fourth floor in the dormitory. And the fourth floor guys in our days were all very close to the Mashkiach. So one time after we had lit the Hanukkah Menorah, we said, a group of us, spontaneously, just on the spot, we decided, you know what, let's go make a Hanukkah party at the Mashkiach's house. And I don't know what, I guess we were immature, you know, just thinking that we could just show up at people's houses like that. Um, but we we came there, we just showed up. We walked over to Rehov Yoel. And up to the third floor, and we knock on the door, and he or his wife answers the door and sees like uh, 12 guys standing there. And he said, what, what are you here? So he said, we figured we'll come to have a Hanukkah party by the Mashgiach's house at, you know, six in the afternoon, uh, right after we lit the Menorah. And the Mashgiach says, come right in. The Rebbetzin says, come right in. And the Rebbetzin runs into the kitchen. She starts making latkes. The Mashgiach pulls out a couple of bottles of mashke, we start making l'chaims, the latkes come out, we start singing, and we had an amazing time. One of us brought a guitar, and uh, a couple of nights later was the Masiba and the yeshiva, and when the mashkiach started singing by the that Masiba, he calls me over, and he says, where's that guy with the guitar from the fourth floor? 
I said, we never have a guitar by the Yeshiva Masiva. He said, yeah, but it was really nice in my house the other night, so let's hook it up to the microphone and we'll we'll have a little kumzitz here at the Hanukkah Masiva. So he had that. And it's just how he wanted to make it, you know, so nice for the guys. You do by Simchas Beis HaSheva on Sukkot. He would sing sometimes his old songs from Hebron, which I don't know if we appreciated at the time. Omar Abaye song and all these other ones that, unfortunately, I don't even remember all of them today. But it's interesting that his, I think his, besides for the old songs from uh, from Hebron, the old Litvish songs that he used to to try to teach us, his most, one of his favorite, I guess we call it modern songs, was Baruch Chait's Loi Amos Ki Echia. He would always insist on singing that and get very, you know, Pischuli Sharit Sedek, and he'd get very animated and stand up and get everyone dancing. And it was very apropos to him. He's someone who he, he uh, you know, never gave up. He was always Loyomus Kiech. He was in and out of the hospitals in his later years. And, um, and, uh, and also he infused so much life into others, the people who were around him. He was always uh, living Loyomus Kiech and projecting that uh, into these interactions with others. On Purim, so uh, so uh, I remember eating by him on a Friday night, uh, Purim Meshulash. So that was, I only remember the first few minutes of the Suda, but it, it was something that we, we were able to to have a full a full party by by his house. He allowed it. I remember even in yeshiva, I remember that we were we were discussing. We we wanted to make uh, the Friday night Purim, uh, you know, like a I guess I guess you know more. Wild, wild, uh, more exciting than a regular Friday night because it's Purim. And there were those who warned us, you can't do it. There were even Rabbeim in the yeshiva who warned us that it's inappropriate, you're going to have too much wildness in the base medrash. And the mashkiach encouraged it, as long as it didn't get out of hand. And he he, uh, he encouraged it. He said, it's Purim, and uh, you guys want to have a good time as long as it's done in the right way. He would push us to do it. He didn't restrain us too much. The same thing when it came to the banging by Haman and the Sheshanas Yaakov on Purim night. He, you know, there's something that the Mir Yeshiva was legendary for, for having, you know, one of the most uh, exciting Megillah readings in the world. And there were those who got frustrated by it and it got, you know, they, and he would go around, uh, you know, uh, kicking guys out who were either came in drunk or, or, or it was too wild. He didn't want it to be out of hand. But on the other hand, there were those who tried you know, banning the banging by Haman or or trying to limit it or and he wouldn't hear it. He said, This is the custom, this is what the guys look forward to, this is their this is their Purim, and we're not gonna change it. This is this is it's for them. Um I remember one time he was sick. He it was in England fundraising and he was sick. He couldn't come back for Purim. Uh and uh he was very, you know, upset by it. So I I called him on Purim afternoon in England. And uh, he told him how much we miss him here, and uh, how much you know he's missed in yeshiva. And it, uh, you know, he, he could tell the way he was speaking. He's speaking from a hospital bed, and he said, "I wish I was there, and I really miss you guys, and I love Purim in yeshiva." And it was, you know, something so uh, real with him. Simchas Taira in in yeshiva with the Mashgiach was um, was uh, the uh, was was very special. He there was an, in the in the yeshiva in Europe before the war. The custom was was uh, to drink on Simchas Torah. And in fact, uh, an Altamir told me that they drank more on Simchas Torah than they did on Purim in the Mir. The Mashkiach tried to keep up that custom, and he would walk around during the Hakafas with bottles of of Brumfin, of of, uh, of schnapps, 
and with the shot glasses and give out to distribute to, to, to the to the guys to to the bachram to tell me them and uh to make you know keep the hakafas very animated but another unique thing about it was is that the miri shiva of course had a large Amer- has a large american contingent and there was a second day hakafas and all the rabbim the rosh shivas at and the rabbim they would come in for a hakafa a few minutes here and there to participate in the second day antif, which was weekday for all of us uh, Israelis, the mashgiach would not just come in for a kafla. He would come and be there from beginning to end. It was completely weekday. It was not his yantif. It was not a kafla. He didn't just show his face and participate and hold a tyra for one kafla. He was there from beginning to end at night and during the day because his his talmidim were were uh, were celebrating yantif, and he felt that his place was was with there. And you know, of course, since it was second day yantif, so a lot of the seminary girls would would come to the mirror. Uh, where else they're supposed to go? Not many options. So they would come. They uh, they would come and be in the Ezra Snashim. So there was one uh, more yeshivish uh, fellow who was um, quite uh, inebriated, and he went over to the mashgiach and he said, "Is it so inappropriate? There's all these girls watching our hakafas, the yeshiva guys. It's not sneeze. How can we allow this here in yeshiva?" Mashkiach takes a good look at him and puts him in his place, and he says, "When the the When the girls are here, the the boys dance better. So you know, just chill out. So he he was very wise, very wise in 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 every way. I remember the after davening once, I had to speak to him about something, and a fellow um, uh, in front of me asked him a question about a, a, a meaning in davening. He said, we say in before the Kriyashma every day, in Avarabu, we say, V'sein bilibenu lahavin ulahaskil, l'shmaya lilmaidu lilameid, l'shmar velasis l'kayim is called divrei talmutayr esech ava. And he was perplexed that why does it say, V'sein bilibenu bina, we should have understanding. And then it says, Lishmaya to hear, to, to learn, to study, and then to teach. He said, it, it seems to be out of order. That's what this boy, you know, the student of the Mir wanted to know. He was asking of the Mashkiach, what is the meaning of this passage of Davening? We need to, it should say, Lishmaya and then Bina. Why does the Bina come first? Without waiting an instant, without batting an eyelash. Immediately, he had an immediate answer. And he said, he said, one needs a significant amount of Bina to know that he needs Lishmaya Lilmaid How does he know that he has to be a Shaimeya? How does he know that he has to hear and study and learn from others? You need to be a maven. You need to have Bina to be able to, to know. I thought that was a brilliant, incisive answer that instantly came out. And when he needed to be sharp, he was sharp, uh, not just with his students, but with anyone who it was necessary. I witnessed this in my own eyes. There was some sort of a dispute going on in the world outside Mir Yeshiva, uh, in the general uh, society. And there was, uh, and the Meshkiach received a phone call, and I was in his apartment speaking about something uh, several years ago. Uh, and, um, and, um, and the Apparently, the fellow at the other end was trying to convince the mashgiach of something, and he wasn't buying into it. And the mashgiach all of a sudden says to him, I read the article that you wrote in the newspaper the other day, and I'm telling you, 
it was disgusting. It was an absolutely horrible piece of journalism that you wrote. It was a disgrace uh, to, to, to Yiddishkeit, to Torah, and I'm very upset that you, and I don't even know if this guy was a Talmud of the Mashkiach or not. I have no idea. I don't even know who was on the other side of the line. But it was amazing that he spoke his mind and he said it straight out to him what he felt because he felt it was necessary to call him out on what he felt was an inappropriate use of the journalistic uh, pen. When I was the Gabbai in the Mir Yeshiva, he appointed me the Gabbai, the privilege to be in close interaction with him almost every day as a result. So he had such wisdom in how he would distribute the Aliyahs. He would say, uh, this, this, this guy needs it, he hasn't had it in a while. This, this one, he, he, he hasn't come to Shachris in a long time, and he, I'm trying to encourage him to come more often, so we'll give him an aliyah. And this one, I believe he, this married fellow had a, I think he had a simcha the other day, he had a, you know, new baby, he would keep track of everything. It was unbelievable. Um, one of the, uh, most things that the Mashkiach got looked forward to all the year. One of his high high points of the year was when the yeshiva went away in the summer for several days. The new yeshiva would would have a like a summer camp for you know three, four, five days up in up uh, and they rented out a place for all the guys to come to whoever stayed in during the summer. And the Mashkiach would come up and he loved it. He loved being with everyone when they relaxed. Um, he would even come swimming with us. Um, again, unbelievable. Here's a senior mashkiach, a huge Talmud Chacham, tremendous Baal Musar, someone who was literally from another world. Right? He, he had a bracha from the Chavetz Chaim. And he would come swimming with, the, with us. He would, he would, we would we'd even go over and schmooze with him in the pool. It was, like, it was just so natural. And we didn't even realize that this is, this is wild. This, we're swimming with the mashkiach of the mir. Friday night, the one, one year, I remember in that summer getaway, the Rashivas at also came up for Shabbos, and um, the kitchen staff reported that the soup had gone sour, and there was going to be no soup served, no chicken soup Friday night. That's like not having Shabbos almost. So the Rashiva at stood up, and he said, "The soup is Gevarin Zayer." The soup may have gone sour, but the Meshkiach is now going to make it sweet. And he had the Meshkiach get up and deliver a speech Friday night, and he made it sweet. He made it sweet for everyone. And there would always be a Maitzi Shabbos Kumzitz that the Meshkiach would lead and sing together. Um, in, my, in the later years, when I was already you know, long married and already involved in history, so the Mir Yeshiva camp would hire me to deliver one night, I guess the night activity, is they're very desperate for something, for night activities, they even would be willing to hear history. So they would have me come and deliver a speech uh, on some exciting history topic in the camp. And I, got, of course, gave it in English. And the Mashiach understood English pretty well, but it wasn't his language. He could barely speak it, and he always tried to hide how much he really knew. Um, but he would come every year because, you know, we we were close and he wanted... You know, to 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 me to see that he's there, he would come. He would sit right up front. Uh, he interrupted very often to say his piece. You see that he did understand most of it, and he would come and and he had what to add and say, and he would interject, which was always welcome. Uh, you know, love to hear his additions. And at the end, he would he would express his pride. He said, "That's amazing. I'm, you know, so you know, you know, you know it, and you delivered it nicely." And and it was just. It was just, you know, great that he would participate like that. You know, when he, he very often, he 
almost never gave speeches. When he, he told me that when he was appointed Mashkiach uh, in 1965, when his father-in-law passed away, so they asked him to give shmuzin. He said, you know, he wasn't interested. That's not his style. But once in a while, by like a Hanukkah Masiba or something, he would give a short speech. And I very often remember him saying, quoting a, a medrash or something of the sort that expounded on the pasuk of us Elikim Asas Adam Yashar. And Hashem created man straight, Yashar. And then, you know, we... We look for cheshbonis, we look for complications in life. And that would be a theme, a constant theme. You would speak about it very often. You say, stay yashar, don't make things complicated. See what you can do, see how much you can grow. He was very sharp, sharp as a whip. You could never fool him. He remembered everything. He never forgot anyone or anything. He was always very interested later on, later years when I would visit him, um, in, in in careers, I'd go with friends of mine and uh, alumni or myself, he wanted no details. He would not. He wouldn't just ask, "How are you managing? Are you able to support your family?" He would talk about what you're doing and, and get details. And are you enjoying the job? And what type of job is it? And he it was a genuine interest in what you were doing with your life. And uh, I remember with my tours, he would always speak to me about my tours. He loved it. He loved speaking about where I was going in Eastern Europe. The the first job I ever got, I, I kind of owe my whole career to him because. I gave the Mashgiach as a reference because the one who was hiring me for my first tour I ever did was a close uh, student of the Mashgiach, an alumnus of the yeshiva. So he called up the Mashgiach. And the Mashgiach would always remind me. He said, I got you that first job. Now you're a tour guide because of me. And uh, he told, he expressed to me sometimes, uh, several times, that he wished he could go on one of the trips. He said his doctors don't let him travel anymore. But um, he wishes he could go to go to Kivrei Tzadikim and to see these places. Uh, it's something that excited him. When I got married, um, he was in England, and he missed the wedding, and he felt very bad. So I got a phone call during Sheva Brachas. Uh, he was back in the country. He said, are you still doing Sheva Brachas? I said, yes. He said, um, I'd like to come to one of the Sheva Brachas. I feel bad I missed the wedding. Um, is there anyone that I could possibly attend? So I, you know, I arranged that he should be able to attend one of the Sheva Brachas. He came there, and he gave a speech. He made me speak. Uh, he... Um, He's, you know, saying he made it, made it, made it happen, made it, you know, again, the fatherliness. I remember a friend of mine, I was accompanied a friend of mine who went over to tell him that he, uh, that he had a baby girl. And he, um, and the Mashkiach, and he said to the Mashkiach that it's his fourth daughter. And the Mashkiach sensed in the tone of his voice that he, you know, he had four daughters. He wanted a son. So the Mashkiach brushes it aside. He gives him a mazatov and he said, eh, Rabbeinish had gehat finif tachter. Rabbeinish Finkel, Rashi Lemir had five daughters. He said, "You're already, you know, desperate for a son after four daughters." Rabbeinish had five. I used to sit with the Meshgiach uh, very often during the registration when the new uh, Bacharim would come in to register in the yeshiva. So there was an Israeli uh, Bachar who came in, and he uh, he's the Meshgiach asked him his name and where he's from. So he said something. I forgot his first name. Goren. From Tel Aviv. So Meshkiach looks up and he says, Which Goran? So the guy says, the, Exactly the one that you're thinking of. That's which Goran. So he said, And he saw that the guy was nervous. You know, you know, Rav Goran has you know, a certain reputation in, in the ultra-Orthodox circles in Israel. So Meshkiach says, I remember your grandfather very well. In, in, in Hebron. 
And Mashgiach, of course, was only a little child when he was in Hebron, when Rav Goran was in Hebron, but he remembered him. And he put him at ease. And um, another time I saw him uh, put someone else in his place, also related to Hebron, but in the opposite way. He knew how to tease, he knew how to sense the humor, and, and he knew how to use it when he felt someone need to be put in his place. He was sitting Shiva. I was Again, I was eyewitness to the story. He was sitting Shiva for his younger brother, Reb Maisha Chadash, the Shiva of Aral Khanan. And, and a very prominent, um, you know, Haredi uh, politician, uh, walked in and was, um, you know, Menachem Avel, the Mashkiach, and his brothers, and, and the, and Ramesha Chadash's children. And the Mashkiach all of a sudden says to him, tell me something. When did you study in Hebron? When it was still in Geula? Or it was after they moved to give out Mordechai? which was already a whole new campus, a whole new Hebron, a whole new generation in the 1970s. They moved, I think, 1976, if I'm not mistaken. So this fellow responds, oh, I, I was in Hebron uh, in uh, Givat Mordechai. I wasn't there when it was still in Gula. So the Meshkich says, ah, so you didn't learn in Hebron. I get it. And he moved on quickly to the next topic. So, you know, he just 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 put that out there. Uh, they, he he cared, but he was an, is an amazingly caring person. He cared for the people in the yeshiva that no one else would care about. He was the boys who stayed for Pesach, for instance. There was always a, an eclectic group of students, American students, who would stay for Pesach. He would invite them to his house. He would make sure they had places for Yanta, for the Seder. And, uh, you know, there was always an interesting bunch, because who was not going to go home for Pesach, right? So it was, sometimes it was an orphan, sometimes it was a Balchuva. It was people who felt that he that he felt needed the extra care, the extra love, and there was all kinds of uh, divorcees that he would take care of, orphans. He would marry them off. He was like a father to many of them. At the Levaya, just the other day, I saw just off the top of my head at least five or six of them. I saw with my own eyes them rip Kriya by the Levaya because the Meshkiach was like their father. When I would go with alumni of the yeshiva to visit the mashkiach, when they would come and visit Israel for a few days, they're here on vacation, they're here at the So the mashkiach would tell them a message. He would say, you know, thousands of people pass through the mirror. And how do we know? You know, a lot of them, they just pass through. And uh, that's, that's, just, that's just it. They were there for a year or two, and then they move on in life. And others, they really, really utilized their time here. This became their place, their home. They grew, they steigt. How do we know? What's the litmus test for us to know which one each of you belong to? Which category? Which group? And he said, I'll tell you how. Because look at this visit. You came back, you're in Israel, you're on vacation, you're with your family, you're fiantif, and where do you gravitate towards? You come to visit the mirror. You come to your abeim. You're here sitting in my house because you were really here. This is the litmus test. You feel at home and you feel you're back home when you're here on your visit. And this would, it was, I felt that uh, he was giving them, giving us a powerful educational message because then when you go back home and throughout the year you're not in the mirror, but that warmth and that sense of connection stays with you because of his powerful message. He would tell very often to many, many uh, students leaving the yeshiva when they were going back to Lakewood, when they were going back to the United States, he would tell them, I remember the exact words he said to one of my friends, Zostigedenken de ganze Leben dein Jorendon in Mir Yeshiva. You have to remember for the rest of your lives the years that you spent here. 
And that's something that resonated with us. And that's something that, uh, to a large part, is to his credit and uh, all of us who are privileged to have known him. So this was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, trips, tours, sponsorships, lectures, virtual tours. And you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.